are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you with us. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. And it was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years. And now it complements the work that I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a second, but first a thank you to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close. Close to home. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, we were on we were on the air with Craig Carter, who is an information technology executive here from Dallas. He's got more than twenty years of experience in the industry, and we talked about how he developed his passion for coaching and the unique approach he's created to help people find and articulate their leadership brand. It was really a fun show. We also did it via Facebook Live and interact with her, with some folks that way online too. Very, very, very fun and inspiring interaction there. For this week's conversation with me is Dr. Mike Rucker, who is Vice President of Technology for Active Wellness. Dr. Rucker has a PhD in organizational psychology, and his latest published study focusing on effective workplace wellness strategies is available from the International Journal of Workplace Health Management. We'll be talking about the research he did, as well as how he works with small to mid-sized companies with their wellness strategies. He joins us today from San Francisco, California. Dr. Rucker, it's wonderful to have you with us. Welcome to Working on Purpose. I'm grateful to be here. I do want to tell our listeners that I'm happy to say that um, I found you on Twitter. I don't remember which one of us followed followed the other first, but um, generally speaking, when somebody follows me, I go check out their site and see what they're up to. And when I saw what you were up to, I thought, wow, we, that's that's a great topic that we really haven't addressed here on this radio show. So wellness in the workplace. So um, to get us started, just to help our listeners orient a little bit about who you are and where you come from, um, Mike, will you say a little bit about your pre- professional background and really what got you started in the field? Yeah, sure. So I um, was an entrepreneur. I initially uh, um, was more on the marketing side, although I've always had an affinity for technology. And um, it started a company, sold that company, uh, started another company that uh, wasn't as successful as the first company, um, and it kind of lost my way. Um, and so uh, there was some serendipity in sort of my origin story that I got connected really early with a uh, performance psychologist by the name of Michael Gervais, who in his own right has um, developed a name for himself. He's now moved on to be the performance coach for the Seattle Seahawks and works for um, Pete Carroll, um, who's the head coach of that team. But I got to interact with him early and um, was really encouraged by his work, um, by the work of Charles Garfield, um, and really uh, kind of the um, crossroads of peak performance as it has to do with um, sport and entrepreneurship. Um, And so I had no sort of uh, affinity or um, aspiration, rather, to go into organizational psychology, but that sort of pushed me there. 
Um, and at the same time, Marty Segelman's work on uh, flourishing and positive psychology, uh, he had uh, just launched a book called Authentic Happiness, um, started to get more popular. And at the same time, um, the folks out of the University of Penn had created uh, the International Positive Psychology Association. So getting you know, introduced to positive psychology um, and, and this idea of peak performance um, around 2005 sort of paved the way uh, for a switch um, in my professional career from marketing and entrepreneurship to um, you know, this idea of psychological wellness and, and well-being. And so I initially was going to follow the path of uh, Charles Garfield um, and inspired again by Michael Gervais and look at peak performance. When I got into it, I realized that there was, you know, already a lot of folks covering that fairly well. And at the same time, I uh, started working with a company called Club One, which is now Active Wellness. The, um, the, there was a change of ownership, but in, in essence, have been with the same employer for the last six years. Um, and they're a workplace wellness company, so they, uh, you know, over time also influenced um, what I was doing with regards to my doctoral work. So when I kind of pivoted from peak performance into wanting to look at workplace wellness, initially my um, my aspiration there was um, after reading Daniel Pink's Drive and also the advent of the Affordable Care Act, this idea that the Affordable Care Act was going to use extrinsic levers to get people to care about their wellness um, and had at least a cursory understanding of that research based on that book, Drive, that these types of levers do not work um, longitudinally. They definitely work episodically, but they also um, rewire our brains for why we should take um, uh, heed of something, why something should be important. So if we're really trying to inspire people to take hold of their own well-being, when you apply an extrinsic reward, um, what the science tells us is that we rewire um, our motivation towards obtaining that reward rather than what's really meant to be, which is uh, care of ourselves. So I went down that hole and started um, what is known as a literature review whenever you uh, embark on a dissertation. And um, as I was doing that, a, a research company called Brand Corporation, which is a huge research organization, um, in 2013 had a landmark study where they actually answered that question. So as a young doctoral, or not young, I use that endearingly, but um, as a <laughs> doctoral, yeah, exactly. Sorry, um, Mike, I couldn't as resist. A, <laughs> um, as, you know, oftentimes doctoral students have to do, um, I, I pivoted um, and still, uh, you know, in the throes of my literature review, um, saw that there was a huge research gap with regards to the efficacy of programs at the small to mid-sized um, level of, of business, which is generally a thousand employees or less. Um, and why that's important to fill that research gap is that um, we know through statistics that about 98% of organizations within the United States are considered small to mid-size. Um, so uh, that was kind of the the final crossroads with regards to um, why I wanted to pursue that. Um, and so uh, to get back to your original question, you know, my professional background, um, again, kind of entered as an entrepreneur, but for the last six years, 
still applying my background in marketing to help out active wellness um, was pushed towards this professionally. And now because of the dissertation, um, I, you know, get to do a whole host of things professionally um, under the uh, umbrella of active wellness. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about what active wellness does, um, you know, as we move on. Does Sounds that good. Your yes, beautifully. Let me call out a couple things that you said, Mike, just because uh, it's just I can't resist. One, it's very clear to me now, even more so, why I had to have you on the show, because it appears to me that you and I had were pursuing some very similar paths around peak performance and Seligman and Drive and Dan Pink and all that. Those have been very long-standing interests for me too, and um, I really get what you, what it is that has been fascinating you. So, I, and the other thing I want to also acknowledge is. And for those listeners that are probably here on the phone because they're interested in um, maybe doing some doctoral level research, just how you talk indicates how your mind works. It's quite fascinating, Mike. So anybody that has a curious mind and who's considering embarking on higher education is probably loving hearing you talk. So I want to acknowledge that in, in, in the way you speak. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, I, I do want to talk next about the actual PhD that you got in organizational psychology. As as you know, I have a PhD in human development, and I finished that back in 2005. And obviously, it's not a small thing to do a PhD. I didn't do it for the credentials. I did it for just because I was just purely curious, but lots of things opened up for me, too, after having done it. Um, you did say, you know, how it all came to be. Where Where did the research come from? And I think it's fascinating that your literature review actually led you to a gap, which is exactly what we want to do, right, when we do a PhD. Um, so maybe what would be great to know next is if you could tell us a little bit about the way that you conducted your research. How did you collect your data? Um, over what period of time did you t- did you collect data? How did you come up with your results? Um, and I'll interact with you as you talk because I, I do want it to be a, a kind of a conversational domain. But for those people that are interested in really where to get the data, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, so initially, I was planning to do a quantitative study, um, but ultimately, uh, because of the the nature of what I wanted to do and because it's early within um, the literature, often when you see such a big gap, going in and answering a very specific question on the quantitative side um, just didn't lend itself to a proper research question regarding this topic. So I had what the I same like interaction, by the way, that I had the same thing. So qualitative is the way that I went. I totally get it. Sorry, go ahead. No, no problem. Um, and so... Uh, what I really wanted to do is another hot topic, and I know we're going to touch about touch on it later in the in the program. Is um, uh, part of what this uh, Rand study did is oftentimes when you hear about workplace wellness, there's this figure out of Harvard um, about return on investment of it being about three dollars and eighty cents on a dollar, and um, that's now been um, challenged and fairly challenged for that matter. Um, and and also a little bit more convoluted when you look at mid to small size businesses. And again, we'll get into that a little bit later. But intuitively, I think anyone tuning into this program would know that um, you know most things aren't really advantageous on the economic side if they cannot scale. And so, um, what I was really you know one of the questions that I wanted to answer is how do small and mid sized businesses look at effective and viable programs? Um, and so in lay media, you consistently see programs touted 
um, especially if their vendor pushed, um, you know, about their efficacy because that's a good marketing strategy. What I really tried to do to figure out how I was going to collect my data is programs that had specifically gone out, you know, for one reason or another and talked about their internal viability and efficacy. Um, so I scoured uh, press releases. Um, I, I set up a Google Alerts for a year um, and amassed a uh, database of organizations um, that uh, had purported to have effective and viable programs, whatever that meant to those particular organizations. Then I took that database and randomized it um, and then started reaching out to each one of these individuals finding who excuse me finding out who the key stakeholder was at these organizations um, and then in essence once that database had been randomized it was really just figuring out um, who was willing to participate in the study um, I did my best after getting about eight or nine yeses um, to pick out of that sample a uh, broad breadth of um, organizations so um, I had you know, two organizations uh, in the Midwest, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast, and I spanned four different uh, industry types so that I would have a good sample of um, case study to data to pull from. And then I used, uh, once I did the four individual cases within these organizations, I used the MATIC analysis to pull out the 19 strategies that um, ended up in my final, and excuse me, in my final study. So I have to ask you if you had great gobs of fun doing your research. I did. It surprised me actually how much fun it was to do the research. Did you find it? Did you find it um, something that you really enjoyed, or was it laborious for you? How did you find that process? So I think it was a mixed bag. Um, and, <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'll tell you why. I'm very verbose. I love to have conversations, um, and I love this topic. Right. So. You know, someone that's going in to do true case studies or an ethnography or things of that nature as a true researcher, um, I think they might have uh, a better time. Um, what I found is because I needed to be an unbiased, uh, um, uh, you know, the conversations needed to be unbiased um, and that as a interviewer, um, I really needed to allow the interviewee to talk. Um, I had a hard time not engaging in conversation. Um, and I knew that uh, any sort of outlet to start engaging the interviewee could potentially bias because I had strong opinions going in. So it was a great experience um, because of that, because going into the process, I really had to grow as an individual and it definitely made me a better listener. Um, and then I guess, you know, as a, a quick sidebar, um, I really approached it as a researcher, um, and at the time before entering into the study, I truly was purely on the technology side, so I hadn't, you know, still to this day don't have an ulterior motive, but certainly, you know, had a um, very clear-cut non-ulterior motive to reach out to these individuals, but I think as I made the solicitation, and as you know, uh, when you go through this process, you have to go through a formal IRB um, That's right. Which for listeners that don't know what that means, it's internal review board um, through your academic organization. And so, um, you know, they uh, because uh, Alliant University is a postgraduate psychology to program program and a lot of clinical psychologists could do things that put participants at risk. Um, it was a uh, it was quite an arduous um, process for me to even put together my protocols and because of that because of the transparency, if 
what I call a key stakeholder, but in layman's terms, it's just the interviewees uh, of the um, research. They could look me up on LinkedIn and things of that nature. So I think, um, you know, one, getting participants took a lot longer for me than it should have because people were like, what's this guy from Active Wellness that wants to ask me about my program? Yeah, um, Even sure. though, you know, they're, yeah. And then um, also me as an individual, um, you know, going in and really being passionate about the subject and wanting to learn. And, you know, um, I facilitated most of my personal education by engaging with people. Um, but as you know, if you, because it sounds like you did case study analysis as well, correct? I did it, it, lots of interviews, yeah, qualitative interviews, and I'll tell, I'll say more yeah. about that actually after the break. But um, uh, believe it or I not, actually, remember. Mike, let's go. Um, before you go on with that, we're believe that we're already at our first break. So hold that thought. Oh, we'll wow. pick it up okay. after after the break. I know it just the time flies; it evaporates. <laughs> I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Mike Rucker, who is Vice President of Technology for Active Wellness. Dr. Rucker has a PhD in organizational psychology, and his latest published study focusing on effective workplace wellness strategies is available from the International Journal of Workplace Health Management. He joins us today from San Francisco, California. We've been talking a bit about how he got into the work that he's doing today. After the break, we're going to talk about some of the strategies that he's found that companies are using to effectively manage their, their, their wellness programs and their strategies. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? 
Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Mike Rucker, who is Vice President of Technology for Active Wellness. He earned a PhD in organizational psychology in his latest published study focusing on effective workplace wellness strategies is available from the International Journal of Workplace Health Management. He was also distinguished as one of the top 50 influencers in digital health by the analyst group Analytica, I think is how you say that, in 2016, in part for being VeryWell.com's resident health tech expert. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Um, Before the break, um, Mike, we were talking just a bit about how you collected your data, and I just wanted to acknowledge something really quick for any of those listeners that are considering doing a a PhD, or maybe they're in the throes of it, and I, I just want to applaud what you said about you know, when you were having, when you were collecting your data and having the conversations, that you refrained from interacting with your, with your, um, interviewees because you knew that it would actually taint um, the data. And I really get that. I had the same thing. I interviewed 25 people for my PhD dissertation and 115 people for my postdoc that I just finished that I'm working on for a book. And it's everything, it was everything I could do not to want to chime in and just join the delicious dialogue. So I had to tell people up front, look, I can't talk with you. I'm going to, I'm going to collect data and then afterwards we can talk. (laughs) And so I just really want to applaud you for being true as a researcher and understanding just how you know, hard it can be sometimes as a human being to collect data uniformly and cleanly. So, acknowledged. Um, it sounds like yeah. you're we're moving there a little bit there, Mike, but that's all right. Anyway, um, the the next thing I want to do, if we can, we kind of talked a little bit about it before the break as well. And I we won't we certainly won't have time to go into all 19 strategies that you found that are being used effectively within the companies that you looked at, but. Tell us, if you will, about maybe a few of them that you found. Sure. So um, I think the biggest sort of delta is like the the, the most interesting aspects of, of the 19 strategies were um, one of the big ones was this idea, especially at the enterprise level. And I think this might resonate um, with you as well with some of your work is that we know that in bigger organizations, information and culture is often is often cascaded um, by leadership. But uh, within small to mid-sized businesses, where especially at the at the uh, small enterprise level, where uh, leadership is really meant um, to play more entrepreneurial roles, oftentimes for founders of the company and. Um, and as such, they're very much technicians rather than figureheads of the organization. And so they built a winning team around themselves. But if they themselves were to leave, oftentimes the organization would crumble. So you see that they're not in a place to 
sort of cascade um, company culture, as it were. So in the companies that I studied um, and then backed up by subsequent data, um, smaller organizations are better placed to find a, you know, quote unquote zealot or Paul Revere um, that can actually champion these programs has potentially a little bit more bandwidth than the organizational leader um, and then uh, implements these programs because of their passion and their ability to do so um, because they're better suited than the organizational leader. So that was a big one. And then another one, especially, you know, I've already uh, confessed that I have a high affinity for technology. So what I would, um, what I thought I would find going into the study is that, uh, you know, the advent of wearables and, and human resource information systems, what we call HRIS, um, that these would be facilitators to help on the um, scale the program and create through technology. What I found was quite the yeah, let's cut for a break while we while we handle some of the technological issues that we've got going on here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Mike Rucker, who is the Vice President of Technology for Active Wellness, and we're talking about the research he did to investigate how small to mid-sized companies go about creating a, a wellness strategy for themselves. We'll come back after the break. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. Appreciate you hanging in there with us as we work through our technical challenges here. Dr. Rucker has called back in through a different line, so he's got he sounds much better now. So let's resume if we can, Mike. We were talking before we went on that short break uh, about some of the strategies used effectively in programs that you were able to research among the companies that you talked with. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit more about what you found there? Yeah, so apologies again for the technology issues on my side. I, I love that. No worries. I feel like that that's Murphy's Law, that uh, you know, the technology <laughs> moniker. Uh, uh, it really um, is Murphy's Law. No worries. <laughs> um, so I touched on the fact that uh, what I found was um, that leadership within these organizations certainly played a role, but um, that the most effective role they played was um, bestowing autonomy and the right resources for the individual that could um, deploy that um, uh, within the organization. And that runs counter to a lot of um, advice given at the enterprise level where I think it is right for figureheads of the organization, certainly the C-suite, to shoulder the burden of cascading company culture um, throughout. But what what the study found was at the small to mid-sized level business, um, oftentimes, uh, anyone familiar with Michael Gerber's work knows that um, at this level, there's generally three hats of um, an entrepreneur. It's the technician, um, the entrepreneur itself, and the manager. And oftentimes, technician is the biggest hat that um, a founder wears because they were the ones that started the company in the first place. And so their skill set sort of evolves around being that technician. And so how that plays out um, at the small to mid-sized level company that wants to take care of employee well-being is that they're not really the right resource oftentimes because they themselves are so have so taxed their well-being that they're not going to effectively portray to other employees that they should care about their well-being. So what they do is find that right individual, um, you know, either uh, Paul Revere type or a zealot of wellness, um, and empowers them with the right resources and autonomy to be able to um, to create that program. Uh, so that's one. And then the other um, kind of interesting one was that technology only plays a role when it's the right technology. And so, uh, again, being having an affinity for technology, um, what I thought when I went in there is that we would see that wearable things as Fitbits um, and uh, HRIS systems, human resource information systems, things that have really scaled and made um, enterprise-level technology available to small to mid-sized businesses um, create efficiencies, and what I found is that they really didn't. One, wearables are very episodic um, and also um, take a lot of uh, hand-holding to get engagement going, and so uh, they would often not succeed at the small to mid-sized level, uh, at the small to mid-sized level. And then also uh, human resource systems that were fairly complex the convolute, you know, the convoluted nature of learning these systems, and especially applying um, broker markets and uh, healthcare uh, complexities, and trying to scale that still required human intervention. So, if a human resources department didn't have the capacity to sort of learn the system and then broadcast that out throughout the organization, it often failed because. They didn't start simple. You know, they basically tried to bolt on uh, complexity to something that wasn't already working. Um, And, uh, yeah, so those are the two major ones. 
Mm, thank you for sharing that. That's I think that really does help our listeners get a, a little bit more of a of a feel for what we're talking about here. Because when we talk about workplace wellness and that kind of a strategy, I think it can it can sound very abstract after a while. Um, so I, I appreciate that you grounded that for us. Um, so let's get into this next, if we can. I, I think that anybody who maybe is tuning in, I think is, again, either probably interested in the research piece of this or the actual wellness strategy itself. So I'd next be curious to hear about the factors or the objectives that small to mid-sized companies consider when they're trying to create a strategy. And, and I'd also like to hear a little bit about um, the work that you do with companies like that to help them. Sure. So I think that's you know another big component of uh, what I found in the study um, was these companies tend to be very innovative, right? So they take non-traditional approaches, um, and then when they're approaching their program, they use lean principles. So they're continually iterating and um, refining. And so there's an employee-centric component to these types of programs where they're really looking at what the, the needs of the employees are and building their wellness strategies around that and how that contrasts to what an enterprise might do is oftentimes enterprises are going to bolt on existing interventions from, uh, you know, companies that do this at a mass scale. And I think, you know, I want to be brand agnostic here, so I'm not going to call out any, but there's, you know, clearly fine, yeah. players in this space. Um, and they attack it differently, right? Some attack it through wearables, some attack it through behavior change platforms, and these all work. But um, the problem is, you know, if you look at uh, how many employees are touching at any given time, it can be 10 to 20%. So, you know, you often see when they put out their press releases, you know, we've changed the lives of 2,000 people within X organization. Well, if that organization is 10,000 people, that's really only 20% efficacy rate, right? And so at right. small to mid-sized level, let's say you have an, a, a business of 100 employees. Now we're only talking about 20 employees. And folks that run these at those, you know, at smaller organizations know that they can do better by taking a more tailored approach. And so they really, you know, to answer your question specifically, um, the factors that they take into consideration are really looking at um, what can they do for their employee base. You know, if they're a trucking company, perhaps it's that, you know, they have uh, employees that are sitting within trucks and so they're sedentary um, and they are on the road so they're probably not eating right. Um, If you're with a holistic tea company, for instance, then maybe, you know, the, the wellness services um, would be more in line with the company culture of mindfulness or yoga. And so you bring in those types of um, services. Uh, you know, one of the cases that was in my study was a tea company. And so what I found interesting, like, you know, a great example of what I'm trying to describe is that they knew they had four smokers. And so they could have invested in a fairly expensive smoking sensation program but the person running this program knew these four employees and knew that they weren't going to quit no matter what program was put in place. So she was able to shift resources into programs that would resonate with the employees and therefore get a better return on investment for a program that's going to have a good fit with her organization rather than something that's still, you know, done um, with admirable admirations, but um, probably would have a very low yield with regards to improving the well-being uh, you know, an at-risk population just because she's so close to these. And then I think, um, you know, you can look at the tools available to small to mid-sized businesses. Another thing that I found interesting on the, uh, uh, do you talk a lot about on your program uh, issues of CSR? 
Uh, not a ton, no. So CSR stands for Corporate Social Responsibility, and there's a ton of empirical research to suggest that um, these types of initiatives help employees feel better, feel better mm-hmm. about their lives, what they're doing, and certainly get an, uh, um, you know, affinity for the value and purpose of their organization. And so, you know, depending on the company culture of the business, you can do things that enterprise companies just can't do. Like you can have faith, uh, excuse me, faith-based initiatives. Um, if the group is intimate enough, like one of the um, organizations that I study on the East Coast, they had a fat person's club. I meant certainly, you know, at a larger enterprise, you're not going to do something um, as right. provocative as that. But because this was an, you know, a, a program that the employees put together themselves, they coined it that way, and that gave them um, some social contagion because they owned it. You know, they created the system, and it increased the efficacy because this group really had buy-in with each other to get themselves going. Um, so I think those are some of the things that you see SMBs able to execute on that just wouldn't, you know, would fall flat at the enterprise level. Um, and in the worst cases, you know, open them up to be liable for, um, you know, potential lawsuits. Perfect way to, to take us into a quick break here, Mike. I want to talk more about um, ROI after we after we come back. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Mike Rucker, who is Vice President of Technology for Active Wellness. Dr. Rucker has a PhD in organizational psychology, and his latest published study focusing on effective workplace wellness strategies is available from the International Journal of Workplace Health Management. He joins us today from San Francisco, California. We'll talk more after the break. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Mike Rucker, who is Vice President of Technology for Active Wellness. He has a PhD in organizational psychology, and he was also distinguished as one of the top 50 influencers in digital health by the analyst group Analytica in 2016, in part for being VeryWell.com's resident health tech expert. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Um, Before the break, Mike, we were talking a little bit about, you know, some of the things that companies take into account when they create their wellness strategies. that was helpful to get some grounding in that. When I think about any company spending money, right, I think that they are going to look for some kind of an ROI or return on investment for, for their investment. So what do you see these small to mid-sized companies typically considering to at least qu- quantitatively measure or gauge their program efficacy? Yeah, so it runs the gambit. Um, I think for the most part, they're looking uh, from a quantitative standpoint as the efficacy based on employee feedback. So they'll do employee surveys and things of that nature. Um, For lifestyle programs, programs that specifically um, uh, have a coaching component, there are fairly documented hard return on investment. So if you get folks that are pre-diabetic, you know, hypoglycemic um, or potentially uh, high blood pressure candidates um, and uh, um, morbidly obese um, individuals, then you can target programs based on that as long as you have buy-in from the employee. Um, You know, one of the criticisms of enterprise-level programs is this prod and poke um, type of strategy that they've taken. Um, We know that broad-based lifestyle interventions generally don't work and don't show an ROI. Um, In that regard, the cost of the program over a longitudinal period will not garner um, reduction in healthcare costs. But if you look at it from a a disease standpoint, it can. So to answer your question specifically, a small to mid-sized business that has that intimate relationship with individuals, if they can provide their most at-risk employees um, with tailored programs, that's a big win on the ROI side, if they're looking for quantitative data with regards to their program's efficacy, one of the best ways to do that is through employee surveying. So they can, one, look at attitudes, something like what we call NPS or Net Promoter Score. Are the employees resonating with a particular program so that they have a higher affinity for the organization? Do they feel like it's making them more productive? Um, Are you reducing things like presenteeism? And then also, um, are the programs working for those individuals? So getting quantifiable data on engagement, are people actually using the programs? Do they feel like they're benefiting from them? Um, And things of that nature. Awesome. Um, Very helpful. And it kind of grounds me again in, in how people consider really how to evaluate and, but and along those lines, so one of the things that I really appreciate about reading your website, and your website is great, by the way. There's a lot of interesting information on there. I, I, I thought it was uh, very compelling. But one of the things that you talk about there is that more companies are now considering value on investment factor or intangible measures. So what kinds of things go in that bucket? Yeah, so um, 
return on investment after the RAND study that I talked about at the beginning of the program has kind of gotten replaced by something called value on investment um, or value of investment, rather. Um, and these are the intangibles. So things that I've already sort of mentioned, presenteeism, productivity at work, um, uh, value of life, um, and things of these, this nature. And so the problem with value on investment is that you um, it's really hard to get hard numbers on, on these figures, but you can set up systems so that you are looking at um, whether a particular program um, is creating the type of engagement with your employees so that you can um, understand whether or not uh, these employees are, are, are resonating and, and um, you know, basically producing more. Um, so it's a softer measure, but it is, you know, if you figure out what it is you're trying to solve for, um, create your own KPIs, what we call key, per, uh, excuse me, key performance indicators, then you can create a value on investment, um, excuse me, value of investment measure for yourself and then gauge your particular program against that measure. Um, as you were talking, one of the things I thought about, because you mentioned engagement, et cetera, before, I, I can also imagine, and you tell me if this is if this smacks of what you've seen, but I can imagine that collaboration also increases if a company maybe looks at, uh, maybe they do like, a, a, they've got a softball tournament as part of their wellness strategy, or they do some kind of, kind of group sports where they're getting people involved in playing together. Do you find that? Is that part of a wellness strategy for some small companies? Yeah, I certainly think that cohesion is a big piece. You know, I alluded to it with regards to corporate social responsibility. So um, there was a hotel chain out of Arizona that um, would provide uh, meals for um, specific school groups and churches in the area. Um, And so even though traditionally you wouldn't think of um, altruism as a trait of workplace wellness, um, there is a you know a body of research to suggest that these types of initiatives do create group cohesion, create an affinity for an organization. So, for instance, you're going to make better choices because you know let's take drinking for example. You don't want to let down your fellow employees the next day, right? So, in that particular example, that's really hard to measure, right? Are your employees making better choices so that when they come to work, they're they're more engaged? But it's those type of in, intangibles that go into the OI, you know, again, things like presenteeism, um, productivity, that you can inherently test for if you know what, you know, uh, performance indicators you'd like to see. But then you're also just naturally going to see it in those surveys that I alluded to. You know, do your employees feel like where they work takes care of them, that they care about their well-being? And that stuff, you know, there's reciprocity to it. And we just know that inherently, especially folks like yourself that, you know, pay attention to organizational culture and are really concerned about, you know, working with purpose. This idea of knowing your why and, um, you know, what academics call enrolling within the organization um, just creates a host of benefits. And so, although, you know, naturally, you know, especially based on the organization that I work for, we want to see people get um, healthier in a physical sense. A lot of this transpires into just... um, creating, you know, a more mindful employee, someone that's going to bring their best selves to their organization. 
Of course, all of that is music to my ears. Of course, Mike, all of it. Um, I, you're speaking my language and, and certainly describing the work that we get to do at Insignium. So I get that entirely. I do want to say really quick, I want to acknowledge you mentioned, how, did I do much with social responsibility? I've had a, a couple of guests on the show and one in particular to, who does really stand out, uh, somebody that really, really writ large social responsibility was Jeremy C. Park was on the show last fall. He's in Tennessee and he wrote a book called Giving for Growth. And he's all about working with organizations to be able to find ways for them to activate themselves within communities that allow um, their employees to connect with, you know, social responsibility and doing community service work. And, oh, it's just, it was a great interview. So I did want to make sure and call that out because you asked me specifically, did I have anybody on the show? And he is somebody that I, I would have to acknowledge for sure. So there's one. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have a whole lot of time left in the show here. I wonder if there's a way for you to share with us an example of maybe somebody that you've worked with, a client, without giving away their identity, of course, of maybe their before and after, of what they were doing in terms of a wellness approach before you helped them and got involved, and then what it looked like afterwards and any kind of results that you think that you could share. Do you have something that you can talk about in that regard? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be more of a um, culmination. Uh, That's you know, great. That's I, fine. I, yeah, I can't talk specifically, obviously, but, you know, the idea is that when you don't understand the employee base and you haven't effectively gone in and done an assessment, you know, like any sort of uh, organizational um, intervention, you're really not going to get the yield that you want. So, what we do when we work with clients is go in, assess the needs of that client base. Um, try to understand what is going to resonate with that particular group, um, and then build our program around um, what we think is going to be successful. Uh, and in that sense, you know, you're already, uh, you know, uh, you're setting yourself up for success, but um, you're also going to get higher engagement. And once we go in there, then we also iterate. And so that's something that was also held true in my study is that you need to constantly um, be checking in with the employee. So when we do one of these engagements, we do a yearly assessment, um, and we tend to discontinue the programs that don't work so that um, employers are not uh, underutilizing, you know, scarce resources with regards to workplace wellness, and then trying new programs out to see which ones will work and which ones won't. Um, so... That's not, you know, a, an explicit example, but it's, in essence, you know, what we would do if we go in and work with a particular individual. Um, and, you know, there's a whole host of uh, success stories with regards to, um, you know, once you are able to take a tailored approach, um, you know, you're really able to affect employees' well-being um, in a more significant and uh, meaningful way. Uh, and so just intuitively that should make sense that, when someone feels like you're actually catering to them, um, and that's one of the benefits of working with a third party, uh, you know, is that you can take that personal touch and really affect people's lives. Um, we've done that for local firefighters. We've done that for, um, you know, tech workers that, you know, where normally you would go in and kind of do maybe a weight loss challenge or things of that nature, but these are folks that are, you know, haven't even been introduced to activity. So in this particular instance with a tech company, we went in and it was really more educational based at first. So there was an entryway into, you know, how, how do I not even feel intimidated when I go into a health club? So there was a big sort of change management process of this is why you should care about it instead of getting them into something 
that was intense as, you know, say a CrossFit. Um, it was really low intensity activity to introduce them to exercise. Um, and then, you know, once the, that population was more comfortable with what exercise was, you know, figuring out programs that could, you know, accelerate the people that were ready to take maybe a more aggressive approach and then stick with the programs that had, um, you know, really captured the audience of folks that, you know, just want an alternative to sitting at a desk for eight hours. So that's a more specific example of how we would take a tailored approach. Okay. <clears throat> Great, Mike. Thanks. Um, we just have really just a smidge time left. I want to give you the last word here. And like, you know, maybe 45 seconds or so, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Just that any small to mid-sized business has the opportunity to create an effective and viable workplace. That employee well-being is so important, and all it takes is a little bit of effort. And the best way to do that is to start small and really um, audit your employees for what they need. Um, they're the best voice to get you off the ground and running. Um, do something small the first year and build off that through iteration, each year adding a little bit and testing that. Keep what works, get rid of what doesn't, and build on that program. And figure out what your own KPI, KPIs are, your key performance indicators, and test against those. And you'll soon find out that you will get your own ROI on anything that you do as long as it has your employees' um, best interests at heart. Wonderful way to finish, Dr. Mike Rucker. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today and for hanging with us through the technological difficulties. Really appreciate your perspective and your, your mind. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great experience. Great. I'm glad. So, listeners, if you want to learn more about Dr. Mike Rucker, his research, or the work he does with small to mid-sized companies to help with their wellness strategies, visit his website. It's just simply michaelrucker.com. He is obviously slightly passionate and educated about the field. It was great to hear how he formed his perspective and his interest in this. Very compelling story of his own, of course. And I have... I'm very invested in the idea of wellness. Most of you know that I'm a runner and I do yoga, so wellness is near and dear to my heart. Great to see companies embracing it. For next week when we're on the air, we'll be on the air with Dr. John Stoker, who will be talking about his work that um, he's really big into avoiding fake talk, F-A-K-E, and having meaningful dialogue that actually gets us the results that we want. Stay with us. Remember that work is one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Work.